of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by my co-hosts, Bryson and Jacob. Guys, we don't have a lot to talk about this week. It's pretty slim pickings when it comes to the Blue Jays, but how are you guys? Doing good, Mark. Good to have you back, first of all. And second of all, yes, this is the last uh, episode before the eventual work stoppage is supposed to take place. So not a lot, unfortunately, in this last week. But of course, we still have a couple days after this weekend. So we're hoping that things eventually pick up before December uh, 1st. But if not, oh well. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, Stephen Matz today as well, for sure. Jacob, how are you? Well, I'm still at this point, I think, eagerly waiting for some stuff to happen because unlike last off season, we haven't been just bombarded by rumor and rumor and all these different things. But now that I think the U.S. Thanksgiving, which I didn't realize was on a weekday, that confused the absolute heck out of me. But now that that's over... Now that we've got four or five days until this uh, interesting stoppage, I'll put it that way, will take place. Hopefully there's at least a couple uh, big signings. Yeah, hopefully we got, what, four or five more days. Hopefully the Blue Jays can do something and give us a little bit to talk about before everything goes dark for a couple months, or at least that's what we're expecting to happen. Who knows? We could be surprised. We've been surprised in the past. But Bryson, you mentioned the big news from this week is Steven Matz. He comes off the board. He says he's going to sign by Wednesday. Keeps his word. He does sign by Wednesday and he goes to the St. Louis Cardinals on a four-year, $44 million deal. Apparently the Blue Jays were in on him. They were very interested. They offered a three-year deal, but similar average annual value to what the Cardinals were offering. So he took the added year and went on his way. And now he's going to be pitching in the National League and in the NL Central. Um, I don't know how much there is here. Like, obviously, it's disappointing the Blue Jays missed out on Mats, but then again, I, I'm i not sure he's worth $11 million for four years. He had a good season, but a lot of people are pointing out the fact that down the stretch, especially in August and September, he faced some easy teams. He faced a lot of sub-500 teams, and if you look at the first half of his season when he didn't have that easy schedule, his ERA was higher. He wasn't as good of a pitcher as he became in the later part of the year. So, not to discount anything he did, but all I'm saying is four years, $44 million. Sucks that the Blue Jays couldn't get it done. Sucks that the Blue Jays couldn't keep him around, but I'm not terribly heartbroken because he's not a top-tier pitcher, and I don't think he's quite worth that amount of money for the Blue Jays. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if this was Robbie Ray that we're talking about, I think we'd all be very uh, opinionated on this. But at the end of the day, Steven Matz would have been coming back as your fourth or fifth starter. And that's not to say that those aren't important parts in your rotation. It's just that's probably all he would have been. And his career ERA is over four. It's at 424 right now. It's overall pretty over the place other than his first season with the Mets where he... He was only in six games, really. His ERA was below three. But besides that, it's always been high threes and mid fours, sometimes in the uh, above five and six. So he's not a terrible pitcher, but at the end of the day, he's just, it's 
it's a guy that would have helped the Blue Jays, and you got to think that Pete Walker could have worked with them over those three to four years. But at the end of the day, it's just the Blue Jays, they put out an offer. Like, at least you can't say that they didn't try to sign him. Like, they gave him mostly what he wanted. He just took that plus a year. So I'm not overly concerned about it. I still would like to see a pitcher sign, and I think we'd all agree with that. But if you're looking at Steven Matz, at the end of the day, he, he made his decision to go closer-ish to home. He's not really in Toronto anymore, not across the border. So it is what it is, really. And it, it, I still find it funny that the Mets owner found a way to keep himself relevant by tweeting about how angry he was. And apparently all it was was Matz was supposedly going to take a deal with the Mets, but then had like a last-minute change of heart and decided on the Cardinals. So, I mean... The Mets are the Mets. We'll, you know, we we expect things like that out of them. It's it's kind of funny at this point, but uh, I'm surprised we didn't hear anything out of Stroman. Or I think we did actually, but I think it was somewhat irrelevant to the the topic. But as for Steven Matz, all I can say is you know you wish him luck. Uh, have a you know have a good uh, contract with the the Cardinals. He came to Toronto, was traded. It wasn't like he was forced to or willingly came here. He, but he came here. He worked with Pete Walker. Had himself a good season and he was a big part of this Blue Jays rotation and he as many others are looking to do this offseason are going to hopefully cash in on those good seasons so now I think what you can do is forget about Steven Matz focus on who is next because there are some some big free agents that you're going to need to sign if you want to stay competitive all you can hope for is that you don't miss out on all of them but as of right now I still think the rotation is decent without Steven Matz in it I would just like to see somebody else added. Yeah, at the end of the day, when you look at this, I don't think it's much of a loss uh, for the Blue Jays just because of the details that you guys mentioned and not because of the the salary. I think 11 per is something that we were kind of all expecting and kind of had, I thought that was fair for Steven Matz, but the term obviously is something that uh, changes things. And that is, is pretty much why essentially he chose the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, it feels like them and Perhaps the Mets, if regardless of that was true or not, were willing to go to four years. And other than those teams, because he did have a lot of interest, I think it was around eight teams that we knew of that had interest, and that was including the Jays. Um, I don't think really anyone went over that three-year mark. And really, if you're the Jays, th- good. I- I'm kind of happy they didn't go over the three-year mark. And um, I just felt like that fourth year was just, it didn't seem like it was necessary for Steven Matz. And now when you look at it, you obviously lose out on him. You can spend that money elsewhere. You can spend that money to get someone like Steven Matz because there's lots of comparables out on the market and lots of names that still remain uh, who you can possibly or possibly bring in to replace him like that. And you can use that extra money maybe to continue the support of Robbie or pursue Robbie Ray or Marcus Simeon and try and bring one of those two guys back. So at the end of the day, it's not the worst situation for the Jays to let him walk like this, especially if he's leaving on a four-year deal. Um, If the circumstances were a little bit different, maybe you kind of scratch your head about it a little bit more if it was like a three-year deal he left for. But it turns out the Jays were in until the end. There was serious mutual interest. And at the end of the day, Steven Matz decides to go uh, pretty much to the team that only offered him four years. And uh, honestly, if you're Steven Matz, you can't blame him because this is a really good deal for Steven Matz in particular. And, you know, he goes over to St. Louis. He's going to be in a pitchers-friendly ballpark uh, at Bush Stadium. So he's going to kind of benefit a little bit over there. He's probably going to be, I think, the third or fourth starter over there. I think there is a chance that he is the third starter over there. So the Cardinals were in need of pitching, and that's what we've seen a lot um, so far. Teams overpaying 
for pitching. And we expected this to happen, and it's still going to happen before or after this lockout eventually ends. And for Steven Matz, I mean, you guys, or Mark, you mentioned it off the top, it was a very weird year for him because of kind of how he started off and then how he finished. And really, when he started off at first, it was really, um, it was actually really good, those uh, first couple starts. And I remember we actually had a podcast about him right away saying, you know, if Steven Matz is better than what you expected, this could be a game changer. And um, unfortunately, he didn't really pan out to be like that way. I mean, the first half of the season, I think his ERA was 472. And then the second half uh, is where it turned around at 291. So that second half of the season was crucial for Steven Matz and getting this deal done um, for St. Louis and being available or being just being available um, or, you know, just being ready to get four years and uh, earning that because if he didn't have that turnaround in the second half of the season, highly doubt that he's getting anywhere over two years. And for the Jays, I mean, Jacob, you mentioned it a little bit too. You bring in Steven Matz last year, you pretty much trade a few lower-level prospects for him after a terrible 2020. The year, his ERA was over 9 in 2020 with the Mets. He comes over here, turns his uh, career around a bit, and he earns him for this payday. So a lot of guys came over here this year and uh, have earned themselves paydays. We know that. And good for Steven Matz. And um, at the end of the day, though, to give him four years, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy the Jays decided to walk from that and pretty much not budge or increase their offer or whatnot. I'm just, I think there's a lot of Steven Matz people out there or players like him that you can replace him with and then of course you have the extra money maybe for Ray and Simeon and then the question I had for you guys or Mark I don't know if this is something that you wanted to kind of bring up a little bit after was a lot of fans or a lot of chatter I saw on Twitter after the signing saying the Jays should have given Steven Matz that qualifying offer and a lot of that came up because I know the salary was obviously a lot bigger than what he would have made this year if he took the qualifying offer it seemed expensive at the time, but a lot of people are wondering, was that something the Jays probably should have considered doing and just dealing with for the uh, for that one year to bring in Steven Matz? Because now, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, they're just when you look at from what the Jays have done, they really haven't done a whole lot other than extending Jose Barrios. So now you have a hole in your rotation that you have to replace him with. And that's going to be internally for sure in terms of the bottom part of the rotation. But I do agree with Jacob, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory that they're going to go out and try and get somebody else. So, you know, maybe your job gets a little bit harder now. Who knows what exactly they're thinking? So I wanted to kind of add that on top. And if I guess we'll talk about that after that in terms of maybe should have the should the Jays have giving him a qualifying offer? Yeah, I think if we're criticizing the fact that the Blue Jays didn't sign Stephen Matz, this is maybe the bo- most. Uh, you know, realistic way to criticize the Blue Jays, the fact that they didn't make him the qualifying offer. And we talked about when it happened. Who knows if he accepts it? I lean towards no, because then you see the type of deal he got four years, $44 million. He's probably going to take that any day over a one-year deal, even if it has higher average annual value, because he's guaranteed more money over four years. So I, I think he would have rejected it. And in that case, the Blue Jays definitely should have offered it because then you get a draft picked out of it. Um, but at the same time, you do run the risk that he accepts qualifying offer. And then we're going to be here talking about the fact that, you know, $18 million, $19 million for one year for Steven Matz is probably too much. Yeah, looking at your face person, you don't look too enthused about that prospect. So it, I don't know. It it's a, I, I think it's a realistic criticism. Um, and a valid criticism that the Blue Jays didn't make that one-year offer for the qualifying offer because maybe we'd be walking away with an extra draft pick. But 
in the end, what can you do? It's a guessing game as to whether he would accept it or not. And if he did, you're probably in a worse place than you are if you just try to get someone on the free agent market. So I think that's the bottom line for the Blue Jays when it comes to the qualifying offer. But just going back to the kind of the weird split of stats, Matt's heading into the month of August had a 4.54 ERA and he lowered it down to what it ended at 3.82. And that's with a stretch of 11 starts with an ERA of 2.69. Um, and that sounds wonderful. And it is, he helped the Blue Jays a lot down the stretch, but that's against the Cleveland Guardians, the Los Angeles Angels, the Seattle Mariners, the Detroit Tigers, the Baltimore Orioles, the Yankees, um, which are obviously a good team which he had a six-inning, one-run start against them. But then you go back to Baltimore, Minnesota, Baltimore to end off the season. So great numbers at the end of it, but you're facing teams that, you know, in the case of Baltimore, should be relegated to the minor leagues. Like, you're not facing good teams. You're facing pretty horrible teams. So love Steven Matz. Happy for him that he got that money. I just don't think it's worth it. And Jacob, you mentioned the uh, drama with Steven, uh, Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, and yeah, that was maybe the most interesting part of all this. Not the fact that he even signed, but the fact that, you know, Stephen Cohen is going in on him on Twitter, which, I mean, Mets gonna Mets, but talk about an unprofessional owner. And, uh, you know, Stephen Cohen tweeted, I'm not happy this morning. I've never seen such an unprofessional behavior exhibited by a player's agent. I guess words and promises don't matter. Um, so apparently, Mats and his agent agreed with the Mets that they would be his first choice and they would get last word on the free agent market before he signed elsewhere and he ended up not doing that so it seemed just like a miscommunication regardless of whose fault it is I don't think you should ever have the owner tweeting out your opinions and bad words on a player because it's not going to end well it's going to damage your relationship with other players and with other agents and you know the Mets have been active it seems like it hasn't really hurt them it just seems so so stupid Mets gonna Mets they always seem to mess something up, and even when they're not signing a player, they mess it up somehow. It's just kind of embarrassing for them as an organization. Oh, yeah. I I think you can probably, to some extent, consider the Mets maybe the Buffalo Sabres of Major League Baseball because just there's always something going off with them. And that's, to be fair, Buffalo's, uh, you know, we're not a hockey podcast, but I feel bad for the fans of them just as I feel bad for the Mets fans because it's just a mess right now for them. And, you know, at the end of the day, Steven Matt signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. None of us are sitting here uh, extremely salty about it. It's, it is what it is. This is how sports goes. And if you're the Blue Jays, the last thing I'll say on this, Nate Pearson, I know this is a bit of a long shot and there's a lot of question marks, but he is looking to be healthy next season and, and be a contributing factor. So do you need two or three guys that can take over your fourth or fifth role, considering you're probably also going to have guys like Ross Stripling in your uh, in your mix? Probably not. So I know Pearson's not very uh, proven yet. There's still a lot of injuries, and you know he's, he's got a lot to prove still in the big leagues, but I think that I would take my chances with him, considering you also have him for four more seasons. So I would take my chances with him over Steven Matz, just considering the prospect uh, of having a top uh, a top prospect in your rotation. Yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, we know that Nate Pearson is going to be in the mix next year for sure. Him among a lot of other names. And we, well, and obviously right now there's going to be a couple of them, but we do expect one more pitcher, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, to come in or for the Jays to go after. And there's still lots of names out there. A lot of Jays fans want Kevin Gosman. I'm sure you guys have seen that. And uh, that's obviously intriguing. And we know that they were 
close to getting actually they were very close to getting Gosman last year, but then he decided to go back uh, to the Giants on the qualifying offer, and it turned out to uh, work out for him. But there's so many other names out there, and yeah, I mean the the fact it, it the fact of the matter is it's just that how or the deal that Stephen Matz took makes it like okay or acceptable for us to be like you know oh well and for Jays fans who you know you shouldn't lose sleep over losing uh Steven Matz or anything like that because of the the details we know the contract now the term and um it's obviously a great deal for him I mean like I, I also said that he's going to be going over to Bush Stadium which is relatively a pitchers friendly ballpark the division and um I think the Jays are actually playing this NL Central next year so I think we will be seeing Steven Matz and as I pull up the schedule quickly, it's going to be that it's going to be the the series where they start two games there, and then two games in Toronto later on. So at the end of May, they're in St. Louis for two games, and then at the end of July, after the All Star break, I think that's one of their first series is back. They have the the uh, Cardinals for two games, so potentially Stephen Matz against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. next year, where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a home run off of him, is something that we might be seeing. And um, you know, for the Mets. I find it hilarious. I mean, I love Stephen Cohen's or Steve Cohen's tweets. I mean, it just so one out of so many, and uh, we all know that he was unhappy. And who knows how legitimate that was in terms of Stephen Matt's going to call him back or the agent was going to call him back, other than maybe using them for leverage. Who knows? And apparently, they were willing to match the deal that the Cardinals offered him, but um, he decided to go elsewhere. He had decided to change a heart last second, so. I mean, just a couple other tweets I'd like to read out to you guys because it's Steve Cohen. So one was, it's hard to believe how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. I miss the days when the biggest controversy was the black jerseys. (laughs) So, I mean, that's one out of many. And if you don't follow Steve Cohen on Twitter, I recommend you do. And um, he's, you know, great for the to laugh at and obviously embarrassing to be an owner like that. You don't want to be doing that on Twitter, and I think that just is a bad look for the organization. I think you also said that a few minutes ago, Mark, but they had a good day yesterday. They signed Eduardo Escobar, or yeah, Eduardo Escobar, uh, Starling Marte, and I think they signed one more person. So they were a bit, they were busy yesterday, and uh, I mean, good for them. They still need pitching from what I looked at, and unfortunately they haven't gotten that yet. But the Jays, we know that there's so many options out there, and... Um, I said this week to you guys that I didn't expect really much to happen. However, uh, over what we've heard over the last couple of days, and we know that there's still, as we record the, right, this right now on November 27th, there's about three days to go until the actual CBA work stoppage kicks in, or just the work stoppage kicks in. So in those three days, you know, I do think there's going to be something, and um, I think a lot of teams are going to want to get a lot or a few things done Teams aren't going to go crazy, but I do think they recommend or prefer to get something done early than that. And for us, we need something in those three days. So I'm hoping, Robbie Ray, I'm hoping that there's a decision there soon. People like Simeon and uh, Seager, I I still don't think they're going to sign until the new year. I think they can afford to wait. But I think a lot of the starting pitchers in the next couple days could potentially fly off the market very fast. I'll tell you what, the one big thing we've had this year or this offseason really is the uh, what what's the word? The not real or the the fake Ken Rosenthal tweet saying Blue Jays have inked Robbie Ray to five years, and it actually got me. I got a few guys. I think it was Bob McCowan on Twitter retweeted it and was like, "Oh my God, yeah, the Blue Jays signed him." I, I, it fooled the heck out of me. I'm not gonna lie, and I mean, there's not much to talk about it because it's a fake tweet. It's not legitimate. But when you have the exact same profile and very 
close username and you, you put out a tweet like that, it's very believable and it definitely was disappointing to realize that it wasn't wasn't real. But uh, hopefully that guy's off Twitter. I think the tweet's still up, actually, if I'm being completely honest as I try to find my phone. But it it was funny, but I hope we hear the real tweet eventually. Jacob calling himself out <laughs> on the podcast for falling it for got it. got me so bad. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> nah, if it doesn't have a blue check. I forgot to look for that. trust it. Um, but we were talking about the Mets. Speaking of the Mets, the Blue Jays are apparently interested in Javi Baez, of, formerly of the New York Mets, now on the free agent market. Um, the Mets are still apparently trying to sign Javi Baez. Uh, there's a lots of club interested in him as you would expect for a top tier free agent the Tigers are in on him the Red Sox are in on them and the Blue Jays are in on him according to Ken Rosenthal I don't know how serious their interest is obviously they're in the the market for a middle infielder they need a second baseman to fill the spot of Marcus Simeon if Marcus Simeon ends up walking for me I don't want the guy to fill that spot to be Javi Baez I'm not a big fan of him like look he's a really good player you know, he had 4.5 war in 2021. He always has really good offensive numbers. He was a gold glove award winner in 2020. He was an all-star in 2019 and 2018. He finished second in MVP voting in the National League in 2018. But I don't think he's the type of player that Blue Jays should be pursuing. He's a guy who strikes out an absurd amount of times. He led the National League in strikeouts with 184 in 2021 um his OBP is only 319 so when you're looking at that kind of number it's kind of like Kevin Pillar type levels with a batting average of 265 and OBP of 319 OPS plus 117 so obviously he's a plus offensive player and he has some pop in his bat 31 home runs 87 RBI this past season and a little bit of speed on the base paths 18 um stolen bases but writ large I would much rather bl the Blue Jays be focusing their efforts on someone like Marcus Simeon, even if it's going to probably be a little bit more expensive than Javi Baez instead of getting Javi Baez. The thing that Javi Baez on, has on his side is his age. He's only 28. He's going to turn 29 on December 1st. So happy birthday. You're going to be locked out by the uh, <laughs> owners most likely. But um, that's what he has going for him. And that's what you could argue why the Blue Jays should sign him instead of someone like Marcus Simeon. But at the same time, because he's younger and he has a good track record, he's probably going to command more money. So there's two sides of this coin. So I don't know. I don't want the Blue Jays to sign Javi Baez. It's fun that they're in on him. It's fun that they're interested in him. I don't think he's a good fit, and I don't think he'll end up in Toronto. Yeah, I don't think it's likely. But also one thing we could consider is you mentioned Simeon, but also somebody like Jose Ramirez who – is a middle not a middle infielder but he's an infielder plays third base you just move Biggio to second if if that's the case but he's somebody that you would have to trade for whereas those other two guys you don't have to trade for they're free agents and I've said this before I don't think Simeon's back but if you're looking at somebody like Javier Baez or Jose Ramirez I'm more willing to lean towards Baez just considering you have to pay him you don't have to trade for him Obviously, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for him. That's he's As we've seen throughout baseball the last couple of seasons, young guys are going to command not just a lot of money, but a lot of term. And do you want to have another guy locked up for five plus years? I'm not really sure. But it's something you should consider, at least if you're the Blue Jays. It gives you a bit of stability. Then you know who's going to 
somewhat be in your middle infield or in your infield in general? Because really the last two seasons, it's been Biggio at second base. Sometimes he goes to third base. This season he was primarily at third base, but then he was injured. Then it was Espinal. It was panic for a while. Like it's, it's kind of, aside from Bichette, the catcher's position and first base, it's just been whoever's available with the exception of Simeon because he came in expecting to play every day but aside from that we really had no idea who was going to play where on a consistent basis and if you do that if you make a deal for somebody like Baez gives you a bit of stability then that means you just I don't know maybe you platoon Biggio and Espinal I think Espinal has a one up on him just put that out there as of right now I think he does maybe you 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 work around something like that but that's just I think what I would want to see is some you you bring somebody in or you do something to just stabilize your infield because the outfield set I, I think that's a guarantee most of the infield is set I think we can also agree on that it's just you want to know who's going to be playing pretty much every day at those other corner positions so if you can do that consider that a good offseason but I don't want getting an infield to interfere with the way or interfere with you trying to get a pitcher because I say that I want stability in the infield which is true but I think that the pitching needs primarily the starting pitching needs are a little bit more important right now considering if you don't go get a starting pitcher your rotation is average to mediocre maybe a little bit better than average at best you do have some very good names in that rotation but you're still missing that one uh, that 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 KO or that kill shot whatever the, you know, that final blow in your rotation, and you're going to need something like that. So go out, get something like that, then focus on the infield. Because once you do that, I think you're set. And whether it's whether it's Baez, whether it's Ramirez, whether it's none of them, you know, even if you don't do anything, you still have Biggio and Espinal, who not everybody is as keen on those two, primarily Espinal. I don't know. It's, it, it's a little tough. But I would like to see somebody brought in or something done because you want to have stability and you want to I mean if you're looking at Baez he's a World Series champion a couple years ago or not a couple years ago but many years ago and that's World Series experience that's another guy with experience uh, like Springer that you have on your team so I would just like to see some some type of uh, position player brought in I think that's probably my checklist for the offseason is a pitcher and an infielder once you do that you obviously work on the bullpen but you do that and I think you're 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 set. Yeah, I agree with you. I remember um, right off the beginning of the offseason, we were talking about it. An infielder's got to come in, a couple pitchers, the bullpen. Obviously, that's the ideal situation. And, um, you know, for Javi Baez, yeah, I'm not – I don't think, like, he just – for me, he's not a very good fit with this team. I, I don't know. I just – I don't really – I'm not very sold on him after what we saw last year. Like, there's a lot of – for me, too, there's a lot of – kind of like swing and miss miss uh, moments for him. Like it's very high and his strikeout percentage, I believe was over 30%. So the guy strikes out a lot. Like I, th- I think it's actually at 34% if you round up. So that's insane uh, for somebody who, you know, just strikes out a lot. I know there are benefits to though to, to his game. I think his war was about 3.6 according to fan graphs. And um, you know, he's got power though, because when he connects, he definitely does, uh, make contact but and then obviously the easier thing that you could have 
on him over someone like Simeon is he's probably uh, very open to playing second base. And um, he can obviously go back and forth. We've seen him go back and forth with the Mets last year. And then in previous years, he was always going back and forth uh, with the Cubs, um, no matter what it was. So he's definitely easy to kind of slot in in the middle infield like that. But ideally, it was what Jacob was talking about for me is Jose Ramirez. If you can't get Marcus Simeon to come back, that's who you should pivot to. And that is who you should pursue. That should be plan A. Obviously, there's a lot of hurdles because you have to trade for him. And uh, for someone like Baez, Simeon, or other names that are available uh, who the Jays are, you know, could be interested in or better fits for the Jays, you can just sign them or try and sign them. So there's a lot of pros and cons. But yes, I do think ideally it's Jose Ramirez if you can't get um, Marcus Simeon to come back. And I wasn't really sure about Javier Baez. And I really didn't think we'd hear a lot about him in terms of the Jays, but it does turn out um, he is a little bit, or the Jays are in on him. So that kind of surprised me a little bit. I know the Tigers are a a team who are pretty much getting ready to spend a lot this winter. And it seems like they are interested in both Correa and Baez. Obviously, they're probably going to pick one of them, but it seems like they're very in on both of them. So I can easily see one of those two guys going to the Tigers, and it seems like they're ready to spend and take that next step. So for long-suffering Detroit fans, you might kind of be on the uprise here with the uh, the Tigers. But, you know, I, I, I that for me, for those two guys, or for the Tigers, especially for Baez, I think that's a much better fit. I just don't like how he... I just don't see how he really fits in with this lineup. But if they do go out and get him, like let's just say hypothetically, I'm not against it. I just think there's other players who I would rather be here or would rather be here than him, if that makes sense to people. So it's not the worst thing. I just, there's a lot of problems that I have and criticism that I have with Baez in terms of the strikeout percentage and whatnot, but he definitely has power. And we, and that's no question because he could make good contact. And I think the OPS last year was 813. So that proves it as well. And uh, he gets on base a lot. The on-base percentage was 320. So he was doing uh, a decent job with that. And of course, you know, you got to cut him some slack too after being traded to the Mets. It was just a disaster for him in the second half because of the Mets fall off. And they had the whole scandal with him and Lindor where they were going like that. It was just a disaster for them. So he's probably, you know, I'm not sure if there's a chance he goes back to the Mets or whatnot. But either way, I do think there are better options for the Jays out there to put it at that. And um, I agree with you, Jacob. I do think that. And for sure, it's easy to kind of move Biggio and Espinal the second night. But if you want to go out and get Ramirez, and I think that's ideal. And um, if not, try and keep Simeon. That's definitely something that I'd like. But again, I don't know how possible that is or how likely it'll um, end up happening. Yeah, I think for me, it's just like you're going to have to pay an arm and a leg to get Javi Baez. He's going to command, what, minimum a 60-year deal probably, given his age and how good he's been in the past. Why spend that money on someone who's not an absolute perfect fit for the Blue Jays. Why spend that money on someone like Javi Baez who strikes out a lot, is kind of volatile offensively, is not the greatest guy, you know, public persona-wise, given what we saw in New York? Like, why spend that money on someone like Javi Baez when you can spend that money on someone like Marcus Simeon, who you know is such a perfect fit for this team and is already a good guy in the clubhouse? And everyone loves him. The fan base loves him. He just had a historic year offensively. Like, why spend all that money on someone who's not going to be the absolute perfect fit? Same thing, Jose Ramirez. Not spending money, but you're spending prospects on someone who's going to be an absolute perfect fit for this team and is going to add so, so much. 
Javi Baez isn't that, so I really don't want the Blue Jays to go out and spend a six-year, what, 140 deal, maybe? if That's like minimum we're talking for Javi Baez as someone at his age. I don't want them spending that kind of money on someone who's not going to be a perfect fit for this team. Well, I was going to say, one of the things you also got to remember is, say you go give them $100 million at least, which is realistic, you now have Guerrero, you have Hernandez, uh, Bichette, you have all these guys that are going to command probably contracts in that same realm. And if you're the Blue Jays, if you're Rodgers, to be completely honest, I don't know how many $100 million contracts they're going to want. If it's guys like the the young guys that they have right now on rookie deals, I think that it's probably without a question. But I think those guys are going to have to sign first. And, they're, and then maybe in a couple years when the team is proven to some extent i know they proved themselves this year but wait a couple years and then bring in more guys because at the end of the day that's a lot of money to to command or a lot lot of money to owe and i'm not trying to get into the whole rogers business but i know people have kind of came at them saying you can afford it pay them pay the blue jays but whatever i'm just my point is i don't think from a business standpoint you'll see a ton of these huge contracts come up before these young guys are dealt with because at the end of the day that's a lot of money and that's a lot of a lot of owed money that could be worth it might not be worth it I think it would be worth it but it's just another thing you got to consider and I I think it was either before or after the Brios deal as I heard on Sportsnet that a lot of people were discussing that it was how many of these huge contracts are going to be signed or are going to be are going to be brought in for the Blue Jays just considering how much money that is and their payroll is expected to go up even further, and that's before all these young guys sign. So just another thing we got to kind of consider is just how much money is going to be owed and how much can you afford to also spend if you want to bring in external sources. Yeah, like I'm not trying to discredit Javi Baez. I want to make that very clear because he has accomplished a lot, <clears throat> and there's a lot to like about him. So I I just don't think it's somebody that the Jays should be prioritizing. Um, and that's what I want to make clear because Javi Baez is definitely, there's a lot to like, and then the strikeout thing is definitely a concern, but there's just, for me, so many other great, you know, fits out there for them. And, uh, Corey Seager is definitely one of them. I think that's, if you want to spend money on an infielder, uh, expensively like that, it's him, uh, over someone like Baez. And of course there's the Ramirez things, there's Simeon, there's Kevin Gosman, who a lot of Blue Jays fans want, and he seems like a good fit here for two for this team. So Lots of guys ahead of him, I think, uh, in terms of bias, but I just it's just somebody I didn't really think of. I'm not gonna lie. I just didn't really come into the offseason and say Javi Baez is somebody I want, but you know, just the Jays I think should be prioritizing definitely on other people. And I do think that's the case. I don't know how much they're in because we know the Jays are obviously in on a lot of guys, and we know we've seen this a lot. They could be just checking in to see the market as well and um you know, people like um, Seager and Simeon and all them, definitely a, a much better, much better. But um, for Baez, I do think the Tigers are definitely realistic and there's going to be a lot of other teams and I'm sure the Mets are trying to bring him back too. So it just seems like um, there's so many better opportunities for him other than the Blue Jays. But uh, I, I didn't really think of it too much <clears throat> at the time. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely see what happens though in the next couple of days. For sure. It'll be an interesting few days. Um Another thing for the Blue Jays is that things are changing vaccination-wise for them. 
Being a Canadian team, of course, this matters, but last week the Canadian government announced that it was lifting or is going to lift um, the national interest exemption that allowed unvaccinated athletes to cross the border. Um, so beginning on Jan January 15th, 2022, unvaccinated athletes will be restricted from traveling to Canada. This, of course, has ramifications for the Blue Jays as a professional baseball team located in Canada playing with teams in the U.S. Um, the Blue Jays are currently apparently looking into how this might impact them for next season. I think it's interesting to play out the situation that the Blue Jays, in addition to all these other factors that we're talking about, the money of deals, the term of deals, how the players fit into the team, the Blue Jays are also going to be have to have to consider vaccination status. And we know they are past that 85% vaccination threshold, or at least they were for this 2021 season. That, of course, still means there's some players on the team that aren't vaccinated. Um, it's interesting to see how this might impact what moves the Blue Jays make. People are speculating it already has impacted what moves the Blue Jays make um, with um, Stephen Matz, because there was some speculation that he was unvaccinated. Who knows whether it's true or not? There's no way for us to know, but he did test positive for COVID-19 back in June when the Blue Jays were at a series down in Boston. Um, again, you can be vaccinated and test positive. It doesn't really tell us much, but people are speculating that he was unvaccinated and that may have been why the Blue Jays didn't give that extra year to him. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts the Blue Jays' approach this offseason. I don't know if it's at the front of mind for them, if it's at the back of their mind, but it's definitely going to be some sort of factor for the Blue Jays as they approach the next few days in terms of free agent signings, as they approach the next few months in terms of the lockout and who they're looking at getting. Yeah, I think it, it's not a ton necessarily to talk about here, but it will impact them, obviously, and it'll, you know, I think we've already seen in the NHL there are a few players who play for American teams that can't come over to the Canadian teams when they're playing at home and you know, it's it, it does impact guys, and you know, he's a, there are a few guys. I think it's Tyler Bertuzzi, not Todd Bertuzzi. That's a way older retired player, but playing for the I think it's the Red Wings can't come over when he plays the Canadian teams, and he's a good player. He's impacting the team, and maybe we see for the free agent market, we could see that impact. I think guys' opinions on if they're going to come to the Blue Jays, but also if you're an opposing player or an opposing team in general, you might, I mean, we'd have to see it. There's a few teams that I think still are not at that, that threshold and we'll see what it ends up being once the season ends up uh, starting, but it'll, it'll definitely, it'll be interesting to see who doesn't play if, or when this rule comes into play, because it'll come into play before the season starts, obviously. And so is there going to be, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to get into that but are there going to be players on the teams that we see most frequently not play because they can't cross the border and that's a whole other can of worms but it, it definitely is going to impact people's I think opinions on whether they want to sign and if you're the Blue Jays also you got to consider well why are you going to sign a guy if he can't play in your your home city that's the whole point of coming to Toronto is to be in front of your home your home crowd and will be interesting to see how that uh, how that does impact decisions I know that that was I think or to some extent why they were able to come back but uh, we'll see hopefully hopefully it doesn't impact the team too much to the point where they can't sign somebody that truly impacts the team yeah it's a bit interesting I mean the when you when you talk about the match thing though I can I can almost 
promise that when he did test positive last year, somebody on the broadcast said he was vaccinated and he was asymptomatic, but I'm not sure. Nothing was really confirmed, but there's a lot going on uh, in terms of that. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of a concern it is. You know, the vaccination rate. I think as of um, June 25th or last summer, I believe that 23 teams were over 85 percent. So most players are vaccinated. Not everyone is, obviously. So you know, it's going to be definitely. It's well. I mean, if you, you they can't people can't play here if they're unvaccinated. That's pretty much what it means. And um, you know, who knows out of these this free agent class who is and who isn't. But you can pretty much assume most are even though we don't know exactly who. So that's why it kind of puts things a little bit of a a little bit of a question mark. I don't think it's a high level of concern though. I think just cuz most players are, I think the Jays are comfortable and I'm sure they know and they're well aware who is and who isn't. So it's pretty self-explanatory if they, you know, you, you can't go you can't target anybody if they're um unvaccinated and um that's just pretty much the way it is. And uh it's going to be definitely interesting to see too on the team because I believe most Jays were vaccinated. Um, minus a few players, like you guys mentioned, I think like almost everyone was except for like maybe single digits. So that's going to have to change for people who played here last year. And then, you know, now that you have to actually be vaccinated or you'd have to go somewhere else, it's, it's definitely something that it could have, um, you know, it's just something I expected to, I think this mandate was definitely coming eventually. A lot of people were calling for it and, um, you know, the situation we're in, people are still are trying to you know, stop uh, COVID as much as they can. And it's still been a challenge to this day, even with the vaccine um, in use now, which is definitely a big help. So it's just that you don't know too many details about who is and who isn't, which is why it's tough for us to say other than just the basic notion that if you're not going to be vaccinated next year, you can't play here. Even as a visitor, you can't come over here and play when they're in Toronto. So I'm not sure. I really don't know, but um, it's it for me. It doesn't really bother me too much, and it doesn't really surprise me too much either that they eventually came out with this mandate. Hey, it could be a competitive advantage. The Blue Jays can construct their team as a team that has everyone who's vaccinated for COVID nineteen. If opposing teams have a star player who isn't vaccinated, don't get to play at the Rogers Center, and it uh, maybe tilts things towards the Blue Jays' way. But um, we'll wrap things up today with just a little. Tweet from uh, Robert Murray of Fansided. He said that um, there are multiple deals expected to get done over the next few days before the December 1st lockout. It's expected to be a busy time before the lockout starts. So we got that to hang our hats on as far as news coming out over the next week. Hopefully the Blue Jays can get in and accomplish one of the things we've talked about today, whether that's a middle infielder, whether that's a starter, front or and front end or back end of the rotation, doesn't really matter. Hopefully the Blue Jays can get involved and do one of those things so we have more to talk about next week. But until then, we will leave it there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, you can support our podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash section138pod. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at section138pod. You can find us on YouTube if you only listen to our episodes. And if you only watch our episodes, you can find our episodes wherever you listen. And then lastly, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to just help spread the word about what we're doing. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone who listened, and we'll catch you next week.